0: This is Legal and Compliance Insights from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. This is the podcast helping you navigate the legal and compliance landscape wherever your business takes you.
1: It seems inevitable that if you work in ethics and compliance today, The term ESG has become commonplace at topical events, networking fora, and in the multitude of guidance you receive from your advisors. Mainstream media reports almost daily on pronouncements by companies about the changes they're making to the sustainability of their operations, how companies are applying performance protocols, and to their frontline role serving their wider community. I think we can all agree that this is positive change for the better. But as a compliance and ethics professional, it can be difficult to know where you sit in this ecosystem and how this changes your remit now and in the future. I'm Maria Knapp. I'm the partner for Control Risk's Compliance, Forensics, and Intelligence Department in the EMEA region. Today, we're looking specifically at the ways in which ESG factors impact on supply chain and third-party risk management programs, what are the drivers that will define what good looks like, what are companies already doing, and some of the very practical considerations for integrating ESG into your third-party risk diligence program. I'm speaking to two of my colleagues, Emily Morgan from our Vantage business, who provides consultancy to clients on their third-party management, and Claire Morton, who specializes in integrity and ESG due diligence. They've spent the last year reviewing how Control Risks integrates ESG into our approach to delivering compliance advisory. Hi, Emily. I'm going to come to you first. Can you tell us a bit about why we're talking about ESG so much at the moment? You specialize in designing and delivering programmatic third-party due diligence. How do you see this impacting your advice to companies right now? Well, to begin with, these are not brand new issues, of course. They've been referred to in the past as
2: sustainability, ethical responsibility, maybe CSR. But ESG, as a catch-all for all of these issues, environmental, social, governance, certainly does feel like a very hot topic at the moment. To start with, I think the increased focus has coincided with increasing public awareness. Companies are much more recently coming under pressure from a wide spectrum of stakeholders to demonstrate proactive engagement with environmental and social issues particularly. And also the general public are getting more and more concerned about the sustainability profile of companies. So it can be good PR and brand enhancing for companies to engage with these issues now and to show that they're making a positive impact. On the flip side, of course, it's no doubt become a major potential reputational risk if companies fail to engage with these issues or if a major incident occurs. So when companies are coming to us for advice on devising their third-party risk management programs, I'll be discussing with them whether ESG presents either a key risk or an opportunity for their brand, and I'll be encouraging them to reflect on if and how this might redirect or be fed into their business strategy.
1: So far, Claire, we've heard about what Emily's mentioned in terms of voluntary standards, and they've dictated a lot of the changes that companies have put into place. But as many listeners are aware, there have been new regulations too. Can you tell us a little bit about how that's likely to change the landscape?
0: These mandatory measures are going to be really important, and we're expecting to see a change in how companies manage these kind of issues. So we know that several governments and also regulators are moving towards mandatory disclosure of climate related risks, for example. So this includes the UK government, which is aiming to make disclosures in line with TCFD, which is the task force on climate related financial disclosures, mandatory across the whole of the UK economy by 2025. And there's also similar measures being proposed in the US where it's been recommended that regulators will require listed companies to disclose certain types
1: of emissions as well. And then, of course, there is the behemoth that is within our sites, which is the EU regulations tied to their Green Deal. What do you think is going to be the kind of timeframe around that? And what should companies anticipate
0: Well, there's going to be certain requirements that have arisen as the result of the taxonomy and the disclosure measures, and those are going to be filtering through over the next 12 to 18 months. I think of importance to us and of note to many of our clients is a proposal that's currently in the works by the European Commission, and this is in relation to mandatory environmental and human rights due diligence for companies. This is likely to cover companies' global operations and supply chains, and it's expected that there will be some kind of sanctions for non-compliance. We don't know what the specific guidelines will be. They're still under development, but it's definitely something that we need to keep a close eye on over the next 12 months or so.
1: Well, regulation with teeth is definitely a trigger that will get people moving. Emily, our our listeners have developed their careers in compliance and much of it has been anti-bribery corruption and, and financial crime focused. Do you see parallels between the factors that drove ABC Compliance and also corporate responses to ABC and how companies are looking to respond to ESG. Absolutely. Let's not forget how the
2: ABC regulatory environment emerged because there's an interesting comparison there if we want to predict how things might develop in the ESG space. When the US introduced the FCPA in the 1970s, it wasn't really wide reaching or heavily enforced initially, so many companies didn't really take it seriously. What we saw over a short period of time is that it gathered momentum fairly quickly. Other countries soon started to follow suit with legislation of their own. And we've seen penalties increasing in both frequency and size, with some really serious consequences now for companies. I'm sure everybody's seen recently Goldman Sachs in the news with a $3.3 fine. And directors also can receive some pretty scary prison sentences too. I think the longest was 15 years with the former president of Terra Communications Corporation in 2011. So while companies might have initially paid just lip service to ABC compliance or made it a purely tick box exercise, it's much more rare these days that we come across a company that doesn't take ABC risk seriously or have a dedicated compliance function. We're thinking is we could well see a similar kind of trajectory in the ESG space where the regulations and enforcements are set to ramp up over the coming years and ESG will become something that simply can't be ignored. We're already seeing the roles of compliance officers we work with expanding to incorporate more and more of the ESG remit, and this will only increase
1: over the next few years. So it's clear that with all of this coming down the line, companies can't afford to stand still. What have you seen? Whilst they're preparing for these mandatory rules, companies actually doing in response and in readiness in the meantime? So, what we've seen work
0: well for some companies is to start thinking about this ahead of time. Conducting a broad based risk assessment internally is really important. So, you'll want to think about what's driving your company's interest in ESG, what your stakeholder priorities are, and also what they're demanding from you because this can change. What type of work you do and where. What your third party universe looks like, what your risk tolerance is, and also how all of this fits with your company's core values it really isn't a template to follow. It has to be a holistic process that needs to take into account business and stakeholder priorities. And it can be really challenging in the absence of mandatory standards and regulations.
1: Claire, you've mentioned the third party universe. Clearly, that's something that listeners of this podcast will be familiar with and will have tackled risk management around for years how do you see third party risk management and third party due diligence in the ESG context is it very different from what
0: we're familiar with so there's a there's actually a lot of similarities
1: just as with
0: whatever due diligence program you have in place at the moment the breadth and the depth of the due diligence you're going to do does depend on a couple of things so this might be your internal risk appetite But it also includes things like the size and the spread of your supply chain, and also the profiles of the counterparties or potentially the project that you're looking at. You also need to ask where you as a business are at in that ESG due diligence journey. Do you need to implement some kind of programmatic screening of hundreds or maybe thousands of third parties? Or do you need a detailed scope of work which kind of focuses in on a specific project or a potential investment? These detailed ones tend to be the really in-depth assessments that give you that very detailed and granular picture of the risks and also the opportunities associated with that counterparty or that investment and give you recommendations for any remedial measures or value add if you go ahead with the partnership or transaction.
1: Was there anything with regards to ESG-specific risks and those additional checks you're talking about that you would recommend companies keep in mind to really capture the additional risk factors that they're looking at?
0: The breadth and depth of the due diligence you do will depend on a couple of things. Your internal risk appetite, the size and the spread of your supply chain, and the profiles of your counterparties, and also where you're at as a company in that ESG due diligence journey. We've seen some of our clients have success with kind of restructuring or augmenting the scopes of work that they normally have for ABC-driven due diligence to include a wider range of environmental and social factors and also some additional governance concerns that they might not have considered beforehand.
1: It strikes me that the risk factors you've mentioned will vary quite significantly across sectors and industries. How do you take that into account in your approach to ESG due diligence?
0: Yeah, there are definitely these these industry and sector differences. And your due diligence does need to take these into account because they do form a part of that broader operating context that you, you do really need to understand. The good news is that there is help out there. Some of the hard work has already been done for you. There are ESG standards that are industry-based like SASB, and there are coalitions as well, which focus on specific operational types or specific issues like the PRI. And these can be really helpful in guiding your, how you identify those industry or sector specific risks. Internally, we use industry ESG ratings rooted in several of these international standards and frameworks, but we also combine this with an understanding of the geography and the local operating context. So we're able to use our own country risk ratings to give that complete picture of ESG risks in a particular jurisdiction. All of our work is also carried out by regional specialists. So we're able to take account of any local nuances when doing due diligence and also when proposing any remedial measures.
1: Emily, I think it's fair to say you know firsthand how labor-intensive third-party due diligence program design can be. Have you started seeing something like a best practice or inspiring approaches to dealing with ESG? It's, it's really early days still and there's no real consistency yet
2: across organizations. The challenges that many face is a siloed approach to ESG or at least to environment and social issues where, you know, you've got governance quite naturally tied into compliance. And then the environmental and social concerns are managed maybe separately by perhaps a sustainability team or a labor rights team. What we're seeing is more and more of our clients just starting to think about merging those teams to capitalize on, on synergies between them and build efficiencies across their organizations. Some are even thinking to, to completely merge them. Others perhaps just, just have the two teams sitting under the same broad umbrella with a closer partnership. Bringing them together, of course, brings benefits to compliance and social agendas. Without the full ESG framework, organizations can't really have a holistic view of third-party risk. As Claire said, though, not all companies are going to choose to fully merge their ESG teams with their broader compliance teams. Every organization is going to need to consider the right setup for them, depending on its profile. The challenge is rationalizing your approach within your company on the basis of the factors that Claire described earlier.
1: All companies will take, as you say, the right approach for them, although you've made a pretty clear case for designing an approach that capitalizes on the synergies between risk management functions rather than a single silo approach. In terms of the real nitty gritty of a compliance function, how do you make that work to risk rate third parties for ESG? Good question. Yeah. I mean, what we're currently seeing is these separate sustainability teams are
2: often focusing on the monitoring and training of third parties after the third party onboarding is complete. But many of our clients now are starting to ask themselves whether they could be doing more upfront as part of their wider due diligence and onboarding process. It's kind of similar to the way that sanctions, financial crime and ABC risks are often assessed in one cohesive compliance due diligence process as such, you know, ESG-related information can be gathered in the same way as ABC Risk, both internally on the relationship type from the business that's managing that third party, and then from the third party itself on its company profile. No organization wants to duplicate efforts and have separate internal questionnaires or to reach out to your third parties multiple times with additional inquiries for information or questionnaires. Instead, you can adjust your existing tried and tested questionnaires to capture additional ESG concerns. So some of the things that we're looking at incorporating when we work with clients is things like, have you incorporated local or international standards of best practice around labour and human rights? Has your organisation ever had a data breach? And if so, how was it handled? Can you outline how your organisation has responded to COVID-19 in terms
1: of its staff and supply chain? How does that translate in terms of the risk indicators into the risk rating for ESG? Yeah, that's absolutely
2: right, Maria. It's, it's crucial to remember that risk indicators for ABC will be different than those for ESG. So an example might be suppliers, which could be considered very low risk from an ABC perspective, for example. But when it comes to ESG, supply chain, of course, is a major risk area. So while it might make sense to have one cohesive workflow and methodology from an efficiency perspective, you do need to make sure that these different risk factors are being captured and assessed appropriately.
1: So that sounds potentially quite complex. How do you make that cohesive workflow work in practice? Well, this is one of the benefits of
2: potentially of looking at a technology solution where you could gather the information once, but set it up to automatically score that information differently from an ABC perspective and then from an environmental or social perspective after that. So you can end up with throughout the same process, different ratings for each risk element based on the relevant factors.
1: I'll turn back to Claire now. Emily. You've outlined helpfully a lot of the work that can be done up front and in-house, but Claire, how do you see this flowing through to the outsourced due diligence a lot of companies commission? Well, where we've
0: seen failures in ESG due diligence, it's mainly been through the lack of independent checks and balances. So really there is definite value in supplementing counterparty disclosures with independent checks. If you rely just on disclosures from the counterparty themselves, you do really risk missing critical issues. This could be things like policies not being implemented at asset level, different types of workers being afforded different rights or bribes and kickbacks being paid, as well as verifying statements in the same way you would with any other aspect of compliance. Independent checks can give you a better sense of how ESG is managed at a third party or at a company in your supply chain. For instance, we use detailed media research, litigation checks, Discrete on-the-ground inquiries, or site visits and structured interviews. It's also important to think about where you're at in the ESG due diligence journey. For example, you may need to quickly implement programmatic screening of hundreds or even thousands of third parties, like we offer through our Vantage product. Equally, you may need detailed scopes of work, focus on a specific project or potential investment or market venture. These tend to be more in-depth assessments that give you a very, very detailed picture of the risks, opportunities, and potential remedial measures associated with that opportunity or that counterparty.
1: Well, thanks to you both for sharing your thoughts and your experience on this. Although it's very clear there is a lot of change coming down the line, there's already some well-established lessons learned that we can draw from the ABC space and also some well thought out solutions that ethics and compliance officers can start to apply in their ESG due diligence and third-party risk management programs.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard today on Legal and Compliance Insights, make sure to subscribe and check out our other podcasts as well. Like the Global Insight, a fortnightly conversation about the most pressing issues facing businesses around the world. All our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.